Welcome to Ecobolic Radio, a listening experience dedicated to making the world stronger, one conversation at a time. Because strength is never a weakness. Welcome to Ecobolic Radio with your host, Derek Witzke. In today's episode, I get to sit down with yoga mobility and breathing coach Dana Santes. Dana has been in the industry more than 15 years, working predominantly with professional sports, ranging from basketball to the MLB. She's also worked with the WWE and is a regular contributor for CNN. She has a new book coming out called Practical Solutions for Back Pain Relief. Without further ado, let me welcome Dana Santos. All right, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you stop by. I hope things are going well. Give us a little bit of background of what's been going on the last few months since we saw each other last. Oh, wow. Well, um, my career is awesome. My life is awesome. I, I'm, um, everything is sunshine and rainbows. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, actually, um, I, I'm just blessed. So I, every, although I'm really busy, everything that I'm doing that sometimes stresses me out um, is, is really good stuff. Right. Uh, so like, like um, finishing the book, um, you know, there were some stressful points, but it, it, the book is done. It's out there. I'm getting a lot of good feedback from people, you know, saying that it's helping them um, yeah, work with uh, all the teams that I've I've been working with. I'm actually now working on finally getting my website out of like 1990. I think it's the last time I updated it. You're, you're pulling so, pulling it out of the archives of uh, HTML life and getting into the the modern era of web page design. Yes. Yeah. Kind of are, like that. Are you yeah. doing it yourself or are you having somebody else create your web page for you? I am, I'm letting someone else redesign it. Uh, because I've, I've done a lot of it. Like when I, I have to use code, when yep. I update my press updates now, and I don't even know what I'm doing. It's more of a cut and paste. I know that these symbols need to go here and there, but I don't know what any of it means. So I've been doing that for a while and, um, kind of limping along. And when I say a while, like 10 years, but I've been, I've not needed to use my website as a marketing tool because I have more than enough work. Yep. Um, and like, and professional teams aren't searching the internet to find me. Thankfully at this point, you know, I have a reputation and, and again, I, I have enough work. Um, I love what I'm doing, but now I've gotten to a point where I want to make a website that's a resource for people. Right. So who aren't professional athletes, all these people who reach out to me um, that half the time I cannot answer all the direct messages. I can't answer all the emails. Um, I want to be able to direct them to my website for all kinds of free resources. Also, I'm putting more programs up on Terrain Heroic, but a lot of free stuff. And also with this website redesign, I'm, I'm uh, redoing my YouTube channel, which also right. has been kind of trapped in, I don't know, the last time I, I did videos was like three years ago. I looked at I looked at those two and I looked at my hair and I'm like, what did I think it was 1980? <laughs> but, um, well, it, so it's funny, Dana, because it does move really fast in the social media world, right? And, yeah. and for a lot of people that are tuning in to listen to us for the first time that may not be 100% familiar with everything that you've done is you've been sort of at the top of two very different careers, but at the same time, because of how quickly social media is adapting to the industry, 
you, in a sense, are using your past life to be able to build your new life as somebody that is not only a yoga breathing strength coach expert, you're also a marketing or former marketing executive. And when you look at how your previous education and your previous career went, how much is that now starting to influence what you get to do outside of your specialty as being somebody that is a yoga mobility breathing coach at the professional level? Are you incorporating those two things at all now? Oh, yeah. Well, I definitely incorporated it from the very beginning. I mean, which right. is why I really don't need to use my website as a marketing tool right. because I came out of the gates um, you know, doing a whole lot of um, leveraging that marketing background. I, I, I tell the story all the time, um, but I think a lot of new strength coaches and mobility coaches and people who reach out to me saying, how do I get into professional sports? Right. I think it's important for them to hear that when I wanted to get into professional sports, I, um, and this is the short version yep. uh, of the story, but I researched, um, I, w I looked at all four major sports that I wanted to work in and that I currently work in as well as I now work in other sports, but the NHL, the NFL, MLB, and the NBA. Right. And I found out who was the head coach or manager, um, who was the head athletic trainer, who was the head strength coach. And then I picked three players, um, three pretty decent players from each team who also had an injury history. Yep. So, and remember, this was 15, 16 years ago. This is when the internet did exist, but it was really slow, guys. Absolutely. Like, you're, I, you're, not, you're not talking overnight success, right? We always joke. It's like, you know, uh, I built a career in 15 short years, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so I've been on social media now for about four years. Mm -hmm. So I think people think, oh, wow, she's done this in four years. That's hilarious. But but going back to like 15 or 16 years ago, so I, I looked at all I, – I, I did all the research and I looked at all these individual people. There was not, I did not have a template. Yep. I, um, I, I found out what schools they went to, um, who else they knew so that I could send them a personalized letter. Wow. Um, and, and also the injury history that they had in terms of the players. I looked at that and then, um, in the positions that they played. And I had a book that I wrote way back then. So as much as it seems like this is my, my first book that I just put out on back pain. It's my first book with um, a publisher, but I self-published a book um, a million years ago called Yoga is Not One Size Fits All, and no one should read it um, at this point because I didn't know what I didn't know. But back then, that, re that represented the expertise that I had. And in terms of being able to apply yoga um, in an, a customized, individualized way, at that point in time, it was a pretty it was a damn good book. Cutting edge, and right, so, for the time. That, right, for the time. And now I'm saying, don't buy it. But um, anyway, I, I, I went through and I earmarked pages in this book um, specifically for whoever I was sending this to. And then I took that personalized letter. This, this took me about 80 hours of work. And it cost a lot of money to send these packages out. And I mailed them to every single person that I just mentioned on every single team in every single sport. Okay, so this is huge because this reminds me a lot of, of what 
I sort of went through in the early days of trying to get my name out there in the coaching world. But this is this is huge because this is something that nobody is talking about anymore. Okay, so you know, I, I spoke with an author and strength coach yesterday named Brian Cron from Canada. Used you know, he's write, written for Muscle Fitness. He edits uh, used to edit for T Mag. He's a guy that's been in the gig for a long time, but on on very much the private sector side. And we started to get into this conversation and, you know, and we jokingly brought up, you know, media celebrities like Gary Vee and some of these other people that are talking about the grind, right? The, mm-hmm. the new world of social media grind, content, content, content. But people forget that the real work and the real impressions that are made in these industries are not flashy 2.4 second news bites. And mm-hmm. no, and, and you've been in this gig for 15 years on the professional side, coming from uh, a world of high-level pressure executive stuff. And what people have to understand, like you spent 80 hours handwriting, even if it was on a computer and printing notes, you're taking a personal approach to getting a job and you put in a huge amount of effort not to not to guarantee anything, not for celebrity, not for uh, appreciation, because there's a chance that went straight to the trash and you never knew it. But what you did is you put in that time going, this is the minimum amount of work that I'm about to put in to get a handshake, not even a, a job. You're just trying to make an introduction that took you 80 <laughs> hours, let alone right. let alone all the time it took you to write that book before. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So when you yeah. look at this next generation that are seeing you, you know, seeing the the mobility maker version of you over the last four to five years, like as a, a former executive from the business world, what do you tell these up and coming coaches that are trying to fast track their career? I, there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. They want to know. They want to know how it is that I can continue in this career and keep it growing and growing. How did I how did I get this momentum? And it was built on so it was built on that foundation and then always doing the right thing. And I wasn't about social media. And, you know, that's a massive turnoff for a lot of these coaches. You know, if you just want to come in and show that you're working with players and I still get uncomfortable about it. It's 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 a necessary part necessary is the wrong word. It's an almost necessary part of my uh, career now. Um, But in a certain respect, I've earned the ability to do that because this isn't, I'm coming into a team. uh, I was invited one time and I'm taking pictures that I was there and then I'm posting that on social media, you know, like I, for example, um, I, I first started working with the Orlando magic like four or five years ago. And for the very first time, Ever, I posted a picture of me um, at the Magic, like I don't know, maybe a couple months ago, and I had all these people congratulating me. <laughs> it was hilarious. As if you got the job yesterday, right? As if I just got the job, or you know, yeah. And then I've I've been interviewed for podcasts before from people who, again, only know me from social media, and right. and they're like, so so you got to consult with the Phillies, and my I, my first um, work with the Phillies was in 2013. You know, like it, it's just they don't understand because so many people. So many people, Derek, work with professional athletes because they posted a picture. Yes. You know, they were probably at a charity event and they stood next to the athlete. And 
and uh, so that gets really frustrating for me. Um, because not so to go back, because not go only ahead. is it frustrating, because okay, so you're working with them, and and to go before we go back, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you're working with these people. You've been doing it for 15 years, and the frustrating part is, is now people are you know almost like uh, cosmetically stealing a lot of attention from the people that are actually putting in the work at the ground level. Like, and, and I think you can probably speak to this, and, I, and I'm not going to draw names or conclusions, but we both know there are silent warriors in professional sports that do not get spoken about in social media. And those mm-hmm. people are putting in work day after day for 18, 20, 25 years, and no one will ever know. And some Yahoo... Uh, is standing next to an MLB player in Instagram. And then for like the next three weeks is talking about how he's a strength coach in the off season. Yes. And, and no one sort of interrupts that sometimes because you know, the player doesn't know the, the player may not even know that it's going all over social media that, that Johnny Tuesday has been training them at some gym, right? Like even though he's never trained with the guy a day in his life. And, and so there is that side of it that that is really frustrating, and I see it as well. And to sort of pick up with what you were about to say, so before going back, and I'll let you continue with your thought. Hopefully, I didn't throw you off too much. Yeah. No, no, no. I well, I wanted to make sure I answered your original question. Is you know, what do I what do I tell these up and coming you know strength coaches, mobility coaches, these people who want to get into it, and um, and. And before before I go back to that, I do want to clarify that it's not and I I know you weren't implying this, Mm -hmm. but I want people to understand it's not my frustration with with them getting attention for that um, versus me getting attention. No, no, of course. It's not right. And it's not the people, the people that really care about the work that they're doing are doing it to help the athlete. Yes. They're doing it for that reason and they're not doing it for all the attention. And and so now let's go back to that's one of the big points that I want these up and coming um, strength coaches, mobility coaches to know is that you have to be in this for the right reasons. You can't be in it for your, you know, Instagram story or whatever. That 100%. That, that is not if if you're going to be able to do that you need to earn the right and the bozos who are out there doing the bullshit like that they're not establishing relationships they're not they they're, they're going to be one hit wonders because they're not going to they're not earning anyone's respect that way nope. um and and it's it's easy to see through that but i know that you know the the um the newly certified strength coaches who want to work with professional athletes who email me all the time um, I know they get stars in their eyes when they see other people posting those pictures, and you know that seems like the 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 thing that they're they're aspiring to do. And it's like, no, 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 you've got to keep your eye on the ball because mm-hmm. if you're asking me now, how have I had this longevity in my career, and how have I been able to work? At this point, I've worked with more than forty different professional sports teams, and. And and built these relationships. It started on that foundation yep. of showing them that I was willing to put in the time to learn about them. And and you know sometimes I didn't get hired. I got hired more often than I thought I ever would based on those packages I sent out. But sometimes I didn't get hired. But that came back to me later on in life. Like for example, um, one of the coaches that I had sent um, 
a package to was Romeo Cronell from, and at that time he was with, I want to say the Browns. Yeah, he, that's when I, he was my employer. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, so All I worked right. for Romeo. So, <laughs> so now Romeo is, is like a special coach at the Houston Texans. Oh, and nice. so last year, yeah, so last year I got, and, and Romeo sent me back a, the, the most polite and personalized rejection letter <laughs> Of all the rejection letters, and I got a lot of rejection letters, and I kept them, and they didn't have to send those letters, sure, right? Yeah. But they, I, they saw that I put in all this time, and a lot of those letters said, "I've never received a package like this before." You know, right. like this is incredible, but this just isn't. We we don't have the budget right now, or things like that. I mean, I, I and I saved them because to me that wasn't that that wasn't like oh i you know i this is horrible that i got this letter that it's like this is so cool Absolutely. that they actually took the time you know and so romeo sent me one of these letters and i still had it um i, I still have it and uh and so i met the texans and actually leading a meditation at the i had been there for two days and it was at the um end of that second day uh and I did all kinds of mobility work, but now we were doing a meditation and Romeo comes in and I was so excited <laughs> to, to meet him because yeah. of, you know, here it is like 15 years later right. and, and he's sitting there doing the meditation with us. And then afterwards he comes up to me and he's like, I need more of this in my life. And it's so cool that you're bringing this in to, I don't know that he said so cool, but something yeah. like that, that, that you're bringing this into the players. And I said, well, Romeo, you might not remember, but, and then I started to tell him about this package. I said, and he's like, of course I remember, because how could I forget something like that? And, um, wow. yeah, and that was, that was why I did, you know, that's why I'm doing what I do. Like I got such a charge out of that and, and it just, it reinforces that I've been doing the right thing. And so all of this time, like I, there I still was in the back of Romeo's mind like he didn't forget and he's old now you know as we get older we forget that yeah, I agree. But he didn't forget. he didn't forget and you know what's it you're making an incredible point without saying it specifically because having met and worked for Romeo so you made a, a powerful impression in a positive manner on an individual that has coached at the highest level in our country and mm -hmm. And what people realize, have to realize, and, and this is really important, the same positive impression that you made through this incredible work ethic for this man, when you make a negative impression, they also remember it for 15 years. Mm -hmm. and, yes. and that's what you have to remember with these high achievers because they're in the business of success and they're in the business of long-term uh, ability. So they're going to be around a while you know, 20, 30 year careers for some of them. So if you do these guys wrong, they remember and they remember the way that they remember you doing them right. And it's funny because with, with coach, when I was there, we didn't interact much. I was a low guy on the totem pole. I didn't think he knew who I was. Um, we never spoke. He, he rarely spoke to the head strength guy at the time. And when I was with the Browns, we had a player by the name of Charles Bentley that was a, a real trouble case injury-wise. He had had a, basically he ended up having his career ended by uh, a MRSA infection, a staph infection that actually ate his patella. Um, it, uh, very bizarre situation. So, but there, horrible. yeah, but there was a, a short window where LeCharles, um was potentially going to come back for the Browns. 
And I remember I had to hold a tackle pad, worst day of my life for this guy. So I had to hold a tackle pad while he ran drills where it was literally, this is how serious it was. It was me, Romeo Cornell, LaCharles Bentley, and one, because LaCharles was offensive, and one defensive player. The only people in that field house. No video cameras, no one got to watch, no one got to see anything. It was literally to the point where one player, one coach, one conversation worth millions of dollars, right? And, and, wow. and I was like, wow, this is intense. And I remember we go through the whole practice. Romeo evaluates him with his own eyes. And then he turns to me and he calls me by my first name and tells me what to do. And I was shocked because I'm like, okay, A, I've never spoke to this man before. B, how does he know me by my first name? There's like, right? There's like a hundred people that work under him. And that's when I realized the level of professionalism that you take for granted in professional sports, that a lot of these young people coming up, they need to become really good at being professionals, not just really good at what they do. Yes, absolutely. And you've got 15 years in this industry, let alone your previous industry. Could you talk to that a little bit? Like maybe give some like real world advice to how important it is to carry yourself as a respectable professional in these leagues? Oh, well, and as a woman. I I, I was going to say woman, but I didn't want to throw it in so quick. But I'm glad that you said that because it's a male dominated world. I'm not going to kid anybody. Yeah, that I mean, there has to be a certain, you have to have a certain personality. And I've had, I've had a few strength coaches say, because it's, it's hard to come up with an explanation for what that is. And and it's, it's been characterized as Dana just gets it. Right. (laughs) Like, I just get it. I, I can't let my feathers be ruffled too easily. Um, you know, you have to have a thick skin. You have to understand that you're g- coming into their world, but you also, at the same time, have to command a level of respect. I'm not going to let anyone um, belittle me, especially yep. for being a woman, and I'm not going to be made to feel disgusting. Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're and and um, I I don't know. I've been able to to find my groove there. I, I, if, if anyone has said anything, and I'm sure, I mean, there are men and I've been doing this for 15 years. I'm sure there have been things that have been said that I probably wouldn't want to hear, but the good thing is that I, I haven't heard it. Right, um, right. it's never been said in front of me. And, and I, so I've always made sure that I carried myself in a certain way. And, um, because I've heard, I've heard the stories about, oh, you know, these women just want to come in here and, and husband hunt and all of that. Yeah, and I don't yeah, act yeah. like I'm starstruck and yeah. I'm not, um, I mean, I'm my first year, uh, working in pro sports. I remember joking that I perfected the Heisman because I was just like giving <laughs> all the guys the Heisman, like, this is not what I'm here for. Yep. Um, needless to say, I did meet my husband, um, who's the head of strength and conditioning for the Toronto Blue Jays. I met him, um, one of my first spring trainings, uh, and 
but I, I didn't even notice him. And I am so in love with this man. I'd love to be able to tell you that it was love at first sight, but I was so laser focused on what I was there to do. I mean, I'm building a career. Yep. Um, I'm loving what I'm doing. I can't, I can't be, you know, falling in love. Right. Um, right. There's no I time for love a, a, my career. Right. right. And, but, um, it was like six months later, we ended up going on our first date and then I, we were married like six months after that. And now we're, we're going on, um, uh, yeah, 10 years. So maybe it wasn't my first spring training that I met him, but it was early on. Anyway, it was, yep. it was early on and, and I didn't have time for that, but, um, but yeah, now obviously I have time for that. He's, <laughs> he's everything, but it, just that's that's my point is that you know you you can't you can't really mix those things unless you're sure that that's what you're gonna do and yep. and you know now my husband and I work together and it's it's awesome and obviously I have I have a husband I'm not I'm not in it for that but I've I've heard the stories yes. and it's and and a lot of them they're just stories but you have to be careful that you don't give anyone ammunition ammunition to create any of those stories. And, and so that's a difficult thing being a woman. Um, but I don't, I don't want to stay hung up on the woman thing just right. as a professional, um, in, in sports, not only, um, not only maintaining your own professionalism, but understanding. And this was a point that you made when you were talking about Romeo, like having this, um, this, major coaching position, um, in professional sports. I, I mean, he, he earned our respect before we've even met him because to get to that point in his career right. is, is huge. And I don't think some of these kids coming in recognize that, but I did out of the gates. I knew that all of these people that I was sending those packages to, they had, one of 30 jobs in the entire world, you know? So Absolutely. like if you look at Major League Baseball, there are 30 teams that each head strength coach has one of 30 jobs in the entire world, 30 jobs. You know how many people want that job? Absolutely. And so that's, that's a, that's a significant achievement and it's, it's definitely worthy of respect. These people need to be treated with respect. And then if they, and I always thank them. I mean, to this day, every time I send an invoice, I thank them for trusting me. I thank them for sticking their neck out, especially think about early in my career, bringing yoga into professional sports. These guys had to go to the front office. They had to get a budget to pay me. They, 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 they had to behind closed doors without you even knowing it, sell yeah. you. They actually yes. had to sell you, potentially yes. sight unseen. Yes. And, and yeah. that's that's some risky obligations on their part because if it goes south, they'll get mm -hmm. a ding against them as somebody that was, you know, doing who knows what or bringing outsiders into the club. And, and that's what people forget. Like when you get into professional sports, even though there's a continuously revolving door of players for most of those teams because that's the nature of it, for the time that they're there, that's their club, it's their closed door world, and they don't just let anybody in. And no. they can't afford to. They, they can't afford to with the amount of money that's spent to win championships. They can't afford to have somebody come in that could be, and people think this is conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory craziness, but you have to understand, for example, in the NFL, 
the playbook is worth so much to that team and to that coaching staff that the idea that somebody gets a job and what they're really there doing is a little spygate stuff where they're watching plays and actually able to see what's happening. If people think that that isn't a concern, they're gravely mistaken. So everybody has to get vetted and everybody has to understand that there's almost like a continuous NDA that's going on. There's a, you can come in and you can work with our guys, but it's just understood that you never screw us, you know, Mm -hmm. or, or it's in writing there, you know, it depends on the team. And the thing that you really hammer home, and this is, this is important and going back to Romeo a little bit. So in the, the new generation of coaches that you're advising to come into this world and to understand the respect that they have to give to the people that they're trying to get a job from or a career out of, they also have to understand that even the youngest coaches are not 20 years old, typically. So when you're going in to work for a head coach at a head program, you have to understand that they're generationally a little bit different than what we're dealing with right now coming out of high school and college. So you have to almost go through an education process of how do I deal with somebody that I'm applying for a job who's probably more like the age of my father than the age of my friends and how Mm -hmm. much different their psychology is than say the next generation that's coming up. And was that something that you were cognizant of when you were going through it? Or did you just naturally go, okay, I need to show them respect because they're 60 years old or, you know, Bill Belichick is 65. When you're applying for a job with someone that's 65, trust me, his understanding of the world is just going to be different than somebody that is 40 or 38. That's very true. That's very true. I don't, I, I honestly didn't put that kind of thought into it in terms of like a generational thing. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I am a firm believer in, um, in just respecting one another and, and, and then also knowing that when you come into a new relationship, especially when it's a professional relationship, that, that it's your part of your job is to earn the respect right. of the people that are bring that have brought you in, um, and and then live up to at least if not exceed their expectations. And so this is that I think that's all part of it. And it's if you if you don't lose sight of that, then the generational thing won't be an issue. The problem that I'm seeing though, is that the perspective is so skewed with this, this youngest generation that's now becoming professionals that they're, they're the attention spans and the, and the belief that you can, um, I'm going to sound old now, but I get really frustrated by this uh, because I, I feel like it's a, a, it's definitely a, a lack of respect for my time. Yep and energy, but I'll get these direct messages. Um, someone direct messaged me and it takes them 30 seconds to send this, this question. Um, right. and it's, yeah, I know, but I know where you're going. Here we go. Yeah. But now you're asking me a question about, you've told me something about yourself and now you want a specific answer based on my expertise, um, that is now going to take me way more time to answer your question, not to mention the fact that you, it's clear in your question that you didn't spend any time looking on the internet to find out if I've answered this question before. Um, you know, just, is there an article that I've written that it already exists about it? You just want yep. me to tell you, you just, you, you, 
that drives me bonkers. And if that if that was the approach that I took to getting into professional sports, you wouldn't have made it. I would have a no. I'd have a different job right now. Yeah, you wouldn't have made it. You're you're 100 yeah. percent correct. And 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 this this pulls me back to a thought I had when we first started talking about this a, a few minutes ago when you were talking about your letters that you sent and then getting that well well written rejection letter from Romeo. It, it immediately made me pull up a, a memory I had from Ben Weeder, who was the brother of Joe Weeder that started the IFBB all those years ago in the, oh, right. in the big magazines yeah. world. So when I was probably 17, 18 years old, I reached out to them and I didn't know what I was doing. I, I lived in the middle of nowhere, but I wrote this long letter and I submitted photos and I submitted statistics and all my athletic achievements because I, you know, I didn't know what to do. I wasn't going to college yet. It's a long story, but I was like, oh, maybe I can get a sponsorship. Like, maybe that's the way to go. Like, this is before, you know, asses on protein containers, every other Instagram existed, right? So I'm legitimately like, how do I reach out to these people that I think are in my world? And I remember getting a handwritten letter of rejection, but not realizing that Ben Weeder's big, big push in his life was trying to get bodybuilding um, respected by the IOC and get it into the Olympics, which unfortunately it'll never, it'll never happen. But that was his big life push before he passed. And so I got this handwritten letter back from Ben Weeder thanking me for all the information, wishing me the best of luck in my endeavors that hopefully someday I make Team Canada and represent our country at the Olympics, all this stuff. And he said, however, at this time, it's just not something we do. And I had the same response. I, I damn near framed that rejection letter, <laughs> right? Because it wasn't that I was rejected. It was that I took the time to reach out to somebody I respected greatly for an opportunity and they took the time to respect me enough for the, for the courage to respond. Mm -hmm. And in today's world where somebody will like double thumb pigeon scratch you a direct message, right? <laughs> <laughs> that shows up in like, because social media has created such an intimate way to reach everyone. And now, yeah. now there's positives to that because we're having one right now where we can, in a sense, intimately get a conversation to potentially thousands of people and, and some it may benefit greatly the information that you've given. So that's awesome. The negative is, though, is that somebody can reach inside your personal space almost unwillingly, hence the dick pic problem, but say, you know, and that's reality, right? And so like, but they can reach inside that personal space of yours and then you feel obligated because the wall was penetrated between you and them and they make you feel guilty for not making them the same priority that, you know, for people of our generation felt when a Ben Weeder or a Romeo Cornell wrote us back. And, and, and the reality is, is it's just not the same, but no. they think it is. They think it is just as important as the letter that you wrote to the Cleveland Browns. And it's not even comparable. And, mm -hmm. and that's a frustration for me as well. Like, because I try to be responsive and I try to, like, when I see someone ask a question, it's like, okay, what would have I felt like when I was 17 putting that letter in the mail? And then, you know, and then sometimes I just have to stop myself and be like, oh, yeah, that's right. 
sometimes motherfuckers never wrote me back. <laughs> right, and I didn't, right. I didn't, I didn't lose sleep over it because I sent that piece of paper off in the mail and it never came home. Right, and, yeah. And but because because they expect it to be easy now with DMs and electronic media, that we don't have that freedom anymore. And so before we close out, just a little bit on the how you sort of address and move people into the professional realm of things. When you look at where you're at now as a professional female coach in a male-dominated, predominantly dominated industry, that you've basically, look, respect is what got me here, respectfulness is what's kept me here, and an understanding of self and morality is what has allowed me to be successful in this industry. We are seeing a transition. Um, we're seeing more female coaches come into male sports, finally. Some of that stigma has been broke. I think there's now a, a head female strength coach in baseball. Um, when we look at that sort of stuff, speaking to that culture and that side of the equation specifically, what would you tell an up-and-coming female strength coach that quite possibly has been told her whole life that she'll never work in pro sports? Oh, well, that's just not true. It's just not true, right? <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's up to her yep. whether it's true or not, right? That's, that's it. It's, it's up to her. Um, there, the barriers have been broken down by a lot of, uh, quite a few trailblazers now. Yep. And, and, um, and women have proven that we're human beings who have, um, we, we have a lot of value to offer athletes, Absolutely. whether they're male or female. It's not, this isn't a sex thing. Yep. Um, so, so yeah, whether or not uh, she works in professional sports is absolutely up to her. It, it, and it's a nice change, isn't it? And, you know, for me, I, be, I come from a bit of a biased background. Yesterday, I was able to sit down with one of my former teammates, Robin Lyons, who's the head strength coach for... Uh, OPEX Performance, which is a cross games geared uh, development program out of Scottsdale, Arizona. And Robin and I go way back. But it's funny because I came from track and field um, and I came from that track and field world. I've never not been a part of a mixed team situation. I've never, I've never not had female assistant coaches that I was coached by. Um, and I never really thought about it much. And it wasn't actually until I got a little bit older where I was like, huh, that's interesting. There's not a lot of female strength coaches outside of the collegiate system. And it's nice to see now. And this is where I think social media has been a benefit is it's absolutely smashing down these barrier walls of preconceived psychological boundary. So, mm -hmm. you know, so females are like, okay, hold on a second. You know, we got so many women now that are, are lifting weights at a very elite level, not only in technical pro proficiency, but also load. I mean, these people are just getting stronger. And it, it's sort of breaking that stigma of, okay, this is an old boys club that only boys hang out in. And this is the girls club that only girls hang out in. Now we're seeing this finally, in my opinion, but then I'm biased track guy where we've always had a mixed sport. We're finally seeing an amalgamation where if you go to a gym, you're going to see males and females sharing a platform and training cohesively without all the bullshit that goes with it. Yes. You know? Yes. Uh, and, and I think an important point, and I'm sure there will be some women who disagree with me on this, but personally, um, 
my opinion is that as women who want to be coaches, um, we need to drop this, this whole, um, I don't know, just emphasis on our identity as women. Uh, just yep. identify okay. as a coach. Yes. Stop. Stop saying I'm not getting this because I'm a woman or you're turning me down because I'm a woman. Even if that is what's happening, decide decide what fight, what battle you want to, um, what battle you really want to win um, and, and where should your time and energy be spent because there are going to be some old school folks whose minds you aren't going to change. Yep. not by battling them, you're not going to change their minds. However, if you don't choose that battle, then you choose to kick open a door where you actually know that you'll have an opportunity to show your value um, as a coach, again, not a woman. The people who who have to see, you know, woman versus man kind of thing, let them now see you in that role and, and performing at the highest level and adding value and and let that demonstrate why their opinions are wrong. But you telling them their opinions are wrong and trying to battle it out that way, I feel is a is a waste of energy. I really do, yep. um, because there are there are enough opportunities out there. Just because someone slams a door on you because you're a woman um, does not mean that you're not going to be able to open another door. And then be able to change things that way. But I think that too many women get hung up on having a door shut on them when sometimes they're wrong too. It's not because you're a woman. I mean, I've talked to strength coaches who've had resumes from women and who weren't hired. And it wasn't because they were a woman that they weren't hired. It was just, it was a better strength coach, you know, it's a competitive industry, right? Like, you know, it's like the part that people don't really think about is, Okay, perfect example. We'll use you in what you've already said today so it's clear to the listener. You spent 80 hours just preparing resume packages for for an opportunity to even have someone look at your resume, right? Mm-hmm. So if you spend 80 hours and countless dollars, not to mention the time it took to write the original book that you put in, and this is a, 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 and I don't know if people glazed over this thing that you said. You earmarked specific pages of your own work that were specific to potential players on the team that you're trying to get the attention to. The incredible accountability to detail that you took just to get a handshake or a hello or a, a name passed from level one to level two. It, it that, that's a huge amount of effort and it's like so when people turn back and they're like okay uh yeah but this or i got pushed out for that or somebody else didn't look at me hard enough because of this so that's sometimes you got to step back and be like listen asshole maybe you just didn't work hard enough in your initial <laughs> presentation yes. right like yes we're talking sports and sports are cool But we're also talking organizations like I used to work for that had $157 million payroll, 
right? So when I used mm-hmm. to talk about the Cleveland Browns, I used to talk about the 53 players of the Cleveland Browns as being 53 members of an NFL football team. But as far as anyone was concerned, what you were really dealing with was 53 individual corporations that came together to build one product once a week. But each one of those individuals was their own corporation to the point where a lot of players had incorporated their own name so they could write off all their all their personal training and therapy mm-hmm. you know absolutely <laughs> like people have to realize the magnitude of what these industries really are it's not a bunch of guys playing a game and and locker talking bullshit no 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 this is high stakes, high pressure, extremely demanding industry that has zero tolerance for not only bullshit, but zero tolerance for people that aren't going to put in that 60 hour work week. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to be fully devoted to if you're going to work with an athlete, you have to be fully devoted to them and understand all of the nuance of what it is to be an athlete. Like you were saying that they they are their own corporations, that there are so many layers to every um, choice that they they make that has to do with their career. And it just and then the the organizations themselves. And we had already started to talk about um you know, what goes into them making a decision to bring someone in and, right. and the vetting, the vetting process. And, um, yeah, there's, there's just so, so much that, uh, I mean, I didn't understand it. There, again, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Yep. And, and now you and I are coming from a perspective, um, of experience in this and we understand it, but coming in, yeah, I had no idea. I thought, I thought when I switched careers that I was going to be able to um, take this high six figure job that I had been uh, that I career that I had had in uh, corporate America. And I was going to replace that income working in professional sports because there's so much money in professional sports. I did not understand that there's a massive dichotomy between like what the strength and conditioning and athletic training folks <laughs> and especially the consultants are making yes. versus, uh, you know, um, what the athletes make. So, so that was, that was definitely eye opening. And then all of these other logistics and, and intricacies and, and uh, that I had no idea about. And so, so that, that also there's, there's a certain level of experience um, that you have to have in order to learn all of that. But again, now, you know, the internet, there's, you can, you can practice a whole lot more due diligence. Um, It's all that information is available to you. So if you want to really understand what all of this is, like, what are you, what are you trying to get yourself into? It's probably a pretty good idea to invest some time into understanding that. And so I guess I, I, that was one of my failings. I did not understand that. Thankfully, I still was able to survive. But yeah. I'll tell you that, um, and I've said this before in other podcasts, that um, in the early years of working in this career, not only did I almost quit, I don't know how many times, but I, I claimed bankru- bankruptcy. I, I wow. lived off the 401k that I had um, from my previous career. I had to cash it in, take all the penalties. And yep. and when that money ran out, I was out of money. And, and I mean, I was lucky to limp along maybe making... Um, 
30 grand when I did finally start to actually make money like 30 grand in those early years was like oh maybe I could somehow survive on this and and that's very much like the the journey woman journeyman stories you hear about coaches right like everybody thinks that coaching is this windfall right because programs (laughs) have tons of money my first coaching job out of college I got a job as assistant track and field coach at a division one university and I was an assistant strength coach. I made $12,000 that year. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 12 grand. And I was working 45 hours, 50 hours a week plus Saturdays. People don't get it. Like you got to grind in this industry to get recognized. Uh, and the higher the levels get, what people, it's an inverse equation, right? So at the college level in football, coaches make all the money. Mm-hmm. At the pro level, the players make all the money. Now, people be like, yeah, but Belichick makes $9 million a year or whatever. Well, yeah, no shit. It's the NFL and he's the best coach in history. But it's not the $100 million contract that Tom Brady signed, right? And there is a, a reverse that happens when the players are now the power brokers of the decisions. So you get your foot in the door through the staff administration incorporation of the team. But then it comes back to, and I, and I want you to talk on this just a little bit, it, it has to come back to, are you providing a service the players speak highly of? And how does yeah. that affect the longevity of you staying in that industry? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it it's true because also there uh, there's there's the chance that a player could be injured and and you know there always has to be a, a scapegoat. So you you have to be very careful um, that what you're doing um, you're you're providing value, but you're also you keep you keep safety in mind. You don't, you're not making these grandiose claims that you're going to, um, you know, change players. Let's say in baseball, I'm going to, you know, add, um, miles per hour to somebody's fastball or something. And then, you know, you're, you're doing these cutting edge things and then someone gets hurt like these, that's, that again, those are one hit wonders. Those are people who aren't going to last. Um, you want, you you have to um, also keep evolving because uh, you know in strength and conditioning, as you know, thankfully there's increasing science. We're learning more and more, and as we learn more, we have to evolve and change. And sometimes, in learning more, we're realizing that a lot of the the original um, right. aspects of strength and condition actually holds more value than some of these things that we thought were so cutting edge. But you have to be ready to adapt and change. And um, and then especially someone in my in my role coming into teams, I have to be ready to take on whatever role they need me to um, in terms of it, do they want me in there to do rehab work? Do they want me in there to um, it, it help integrate my stuff right into the strength and conditioning program? Or do they want me to only be providing, you know, kind of one-off class type of things? Yep. I can't come in saying, no, I know the only way that this is going to work. Uh, that then I, I, you know, I would have very little work to do. Uh, yeah, you know? you'll lose them at the front door, right? Because absolutely nobody, as you said, there's only 30 teams. 
And if you come in and make that head strength coach or, or staff feel like you're out for their job, yeah, you're gone. Oh, absolutely. There's there's definitely that. But there there's also um, I I think for the younger strength coaches listening and and mobility coaches listening to this, that, that, um, you know, there's this perception of you become an expert and you have all the answers. And that's, I think, totally wrong. Um, the, the true experts out there, um, and the people who are characterized as experts are the ones that, that know, and I say this all the time, and I've probably said it at least twice now is that they don't know what they don't know. And so they're, they're all they're going in and and yes they know what their body of work and expertise is but they don't know necessarily how it's going to fit in and integrate into um, the context of wherever they are whether it's an NFL team or an MLB team it, you have to you have to be listening and get all the information about what it is that they want and what is their existing program look like and how does this fit best but you can't come in without knowing all of that and say, this is how I work, right. you know, take it or leave it, <laughs> you know, cause I'm the expert. Right. That's, that's just not, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. And, and it's just not successful. Um, you know, like uh, one of the common themes of everybody that I've gotten to speak to when I started podcasting and it just reiterates what I've enjoyed as a coach is the best coaches, the best consultants, the best people in the industry, they all understand wholeheartedly that they are support staff, not superstar staff. And when we come in, our job is to support the players' goals, to support their, in our world, their physical manifestation of success. It is our job to support what they're trying to achieve. It is not our job to, to raise our hand in victory when the Super Bowl is won. Although we'll take a lot of pride in that we were able to support and supply a service to them that allowed them to stay healthy and strong and get through the season, we're, we're not standing on the field. And the moment that a lot of these young coaches think that they're, they're in it for the fame that they're going to get from the association to the victory, they'll quickly realize that they probably can't even name the head 32 coaches in the NFL, right? In strength hmm. and conditioning. And it's like, okay, if that's the case, then, then you really have to reevaluate and realize that what you're doing is a service provider that may be a little, you know, gringy at times and it may go unnoticed and it may get a little dirt thrown on it. And there's going to be days where you feel like you're putting in your 60 hours and you're not getting respected for it that's the downside uh, of the gruelingness of this side of the industry. But the people that can adhere to that, accept it, wipe the dirt off a little bit, they tend to have very long and respected careers. And I know for myself, having you know bounced back and forth a little bit in my mind, I would rather retire well-respected by those that I helped than falsely and shortly remembered by those that I was trying to impress. Yes, exactly. I, th- I mean, if if you're in it for the journey, then um, then you've got the right approach, right. you know, and, and that that's it. But if you're in it for um, those few moments of um, uh, 
I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for, Derek? Grandeur, just, you know? Yes, yes. Yeah, self-gratification, uh, self you know, yeah. instant gratification. I, yeah. yeah, then, then um, those are going to be so, sh but those are, they're, they're short-lived. And, and if that's what feeds your soul, then you better take a closer look at who you are and what your priorities are. 100%. Um, but if it's about the journey and if it's about, you know, being in use, you, you use the word support, that's it. That's if you, if you understand that you're there to support, I mean, we're all here, I believe to support one another. So right. if you make, you just take that to the next level in your career and you're there supporting people and, and earning respect and, and giving respect, uh, I mean, that's a great way to live. And absolutely. I, and I think it's very fulfilling and, and I know that, you know, we've we've gotten to speak about this quite a bit today, but before I lose you in our conversation, because uh, I know you're quite busy, I, I really want people to understand that not only are you working in professional sports, and, and this podcast has really been geared towards the reality of getting your foot in the door um, for those that are looking at professional sports as a consultant or as a coach, but, but for people that are listening, like I met Dana through Sornex at the Summer Strong Symposiums, and she speaks in-depthly about the ways that yoga, breathing, mobility can dramatically and positively improve athletic performance. And I, and I can't emphasize it enough in a 30-second soundbite about how powerful her methodology is in getting athletes healthy and keeping them healthy while guys like myself continue to want to squat, you know, heavy weights. You know, there, there's a, unfortunately a cost to the lifestyle that a lot of us train. But she also came out with a book recently, and I'll let Dana talk about this in a moment, but it is The Practical Solutions for Back Pain and Relief. And I know it's a bit of a, a bittersweet, and we're going to talk about that momentarily, but you've, and, and switching back to you, Dana, is you've written for everybody. You've been recognized by almost everyone in the industry. And I'm talking magazines, television, news. You know, you said you've been writing for CNN for four years. And, and these are big publications. These aren't, you know, micro blogs, which are fantastic like I do, but these aren't micro blogs. These aren't short little snippets. You're working with industry leaders on the media side as well, getting information out, getting good information to the masses, not just a niche group where you can speak specifically about a topic and use all the perfect uh, technical jargon that we love to use when we talk to each other, but you talk to the common folk as well, people that are in pain, people that need help, people that need to regain control of their body. And when somebody is trying to do that, and, and sort of following the footsteps of people like yourself that are really sort of career organizers and career leaders in this field, what advice would you have for them? You know, we've talked about the advice for the pro coaching, but, you know, somebody that does have a legitimate passion, wants to write a book like you have written recently that's on Amazon right now, as well as working for these major mainstream publications. Like, how do you... How do you tell somebody to get into that world? And it, it could be another 50 minutes, and I don't want it to be that way, but just a couple tidbits, you know? Um, well, so it's, it's difficult for me to give uh, advice on getting into that world from my own experience mm -hmm. because um, actually my career 
has uh, my career in professional sports fed um, my career as a, I don't know, like a, a cited expert and 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 magazines sure. and um, and press. Now, I will say that my former career helped me kind of get my foot in the door with the media because I had worked in public relations and and marketing. And so, as I was building this career in professional sports. I did um, pitch different media outlets on um, on what I was doing mm-hmm. and writing stories about what I was doing. Right. And so I, I did get a lot of press um, in the beginning of my career that I had that I had um, I had pitched to the media to make happen. However, after that happened, again, I'm pretty good at building relationships because I treat people with respect. And just like in the professional sports world, editors uh, you know where coaches move around once they're you're in the industry and in professional sports you move around I've even seen coaches move from like the current um, strength coach at the Orlando Magic um, used to be a minor league strength coach at the Pittsburgh Pirates no um, so like I've even seen that yeah and I've seen a couple of instances of um, of baseball to um, to basketball but anyway so yeah they I mean once you're in, as long as you don't mess up, you're in. Right. It's the same thing happens in the media. Um, a lot of these editors will move from one publication to the next publication, and and even the the freelance writers who get hired by the magazines, they they're writing for all different magazines. So you you establish relationships, and so I did. I established relationships in the press and and a reputation for not being overly promotional and knowing what the press wanted. I mean, obviously I read the news and I read articles and it's so funny because sometimes people who are trying to promote themselves Mm -hmm. act like they never have read a magazine before. Like the stuff that they try to get the press to put into their publications, it doesn't make any sense. It's just not what they, you know? So, so it's, I, I had a reputation for um, for doing that, and then I I mean like my role with CNN happened organically. They reached out to me. Like I, after that initial um, push to get press when I first started my career, I never I never did it again. I didn't have to because you allowed um, your your work to speak for itself. I did, and and I kept those relationships going. Yep. Like if I. When I establish a relationship with someone, it's not just so that I can capitalize on it. It is, it's because I, you know, if I ask them about their family, if I ask them where they went to school, um, if I don't think I'm going to be able to remember it, then I write it down. Absolutely. And then uh, if that person happens to jump into my mind, guess what? I send them an email and I say, hey, how are you doing? Not because I'm asking them for something, because I want to continue that relationship. Right. And then so maybe three years later, they go to another magazine and they're they're given a project and they need an expert. Guess who they're going to reach out to? Absolutely. And that's how it all happened. And so this book that I wrote, um, it ironically last year, I had two different publishers who reached out to me. I didn't reach out to them. And the first publisher, I actually said, no, it was right at the beginning of spring training. I was like, I'm, you know, flattered. I, I'd, I'd like to write a book. I just, it's not something I can invest time in right now. Um, this other publisher came to me in June of last year and said, we, uh, you know, we think that, 
the uh, the world needs a book on back pain relief that's based on the things that you do because we read an article that you wrote for CNN on back pain yep. relief yep. and um, and we actually took that that article and wrote pretty much an outline uh, for a book. Would you write this book? Wow. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, right. So it was, it was like, oh, this seems like paint by numbers. Well, it was not paint by numbers, <laughs> but, um, but that, that seemed like a no brainer and, and it was a shorter time frame. And I do a lot of speaking during the summer. Um, so I knew I'd have some travel. And so I wrote a lot of this book on airplanes and in hotel rooms and, um, but it, it just seemed like the time was right, and and how could I say no to that? Because you know they're telling me we think you can help a whole lot of people with this book, and so that's it happened organically. So although I I, I can't give the advice to people about how to specifically get in in the door, I, I think it just comes back to my overall advice to people is um, respect other people, yep. earn respect forge relationships, maintain relationships and do the fucking right thing. And guess what? Good things happen, <laughs> you know? right? Good things happen. Well, and you know, what's yeah. really miraculous is as you've explained both your uh, strength and conditioning journey and this one, a couple things that keep coming back to me listening to you and, and you probably don't even realize it is a big point of your success has been being aware of yourself aware of how your sense of self and how people perceive you as being recognized. So self-awareness is clearly something that you're, you're very much in control of and making sure that people understand who you are. But more importantly, you make it very clear that this is who you are. These are my boundaries. These are my skill sets. And this is why I'm here. An extreme level of professionalism comes across in everything that you say from somebody that has listened now for an hour of your description of the process you are rock solid when it comes to the details of putting in the work to ensure that the research has been done and that that research leads to an outcome that is somewhat predictable in the sense that if I'm going to do A, B, and C, then D should be the outcome. If D is not the outcome, that's okay too because I still did A, B, and C and I'll always do A, B, and C because that's the way it's meant to be done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the way that you have set that out for people that are listening, this is this is really important stuff, because if you stick to your guns and you are a good person and you maintain good relationships, follow the path, do it the same every time. And eventually what you will find is that more times than not, success will start to show up. But if you keep throwing shit into the air and thinking that eventually it's going to stick and you do it different every time, well, you know what? You're taking a lottery chance with your career. Yes, you are. And, and, and also, I mean, the whole fake it till you make it, I hate that. I hate the fake it till you make it because when you're faking it, you're, you're pretty much making things up as you go along. Yep. It's, it's pretty, and it's pretty hard to remember what you've told people about, you know, you just, it's bullshit, it, right? It is. It's, it's bullshit. And, um, and it, it gets old quickly and it, it's just, yep. it's actually, it's way more difficult. Let me tell you the fake it till you make it is way more difficult than 
just do the right thing. Just, just do the right <laughs> you know? thing. Do your research, do your due diligence, put in the time. You know, it's like I always yeah. used to say, like, you know, they're always there's that old saying that it's not what you know, it's who you know, you know. And you'll hear that. And and I always used to say, okay, that's fine. But you got to take it always a step further in the real world of performance coaching in, in, in executive positions where millions of dollars are on the table. Sometimes who you know will get your foot in the door, but it's what you know that keeps you at the table. And if you don't know shit and they know it, it doesn't matter if it was your father that hired you in these industries, you're gone. Mm-hmm. So you have yes. to do that. You have to put in the groundwork. You have to have your stuff together. You got to be a solid performer at the, it doesn't matter what the industry is. When you get to that 1%, which you have moved into as a coach and as a presenter and as a teacher, when I think of you and I think of what you're doing with your movement mobility yoga stuff, you're a one percenter. And when you get to that level of expectation, you have to know your shit because if not, Two things happen. One, you get found out and people stop paying attention. Or worse, people find out and then they draw a, a bunch of guns against you and spend the rest of their day t- telling everybody what you don't know. And that's the worst thing that can probably happen in our industry, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is have people just pull you down because they want to. And so as we close up, and this has been enlightening for me as somebody on the other side of the microphone, just listening to this career advice, because some of it, I'm even, you know, I got pages of notes, which I don't usually do. So I usually just bullshit with somebody, but I I wrote a lot of stuff down on what you said, because I think it's very poignant. And I think it's important for coaches to understand the importance of the process that you went through to get to that highest level. But just before I let you go, you know, the, the thing I ask everybody is, you know, what's coming up for you? Where can people track you down? I know that spring ball is coming up, so that's going to keep you super busy. But do you have any speaking engagements coming up? And where can they find you if they want to pursue you more and increase their own education? Well, um, so remember, I'm, I'm doing this massive overhaul and redesign of my um, my website to make that a resource for people, and my schedule will be up there, and I'm trying to get that done. Um, uh, well, the goal was by the end of February, but let, let's say by the end of March, um, for sure, mm-hmm. it'll be all set, but um, I have, I, and I have so many cool speaking engagements and things that will be up there okay. that I haven't been able to really tell people about, and, and um, but I, I will be, uh, again, speaking with Perform Better, the Perform Better Summits, I'll be in um, Providence, um, at the big one that they have, and I don't remember the date yeah, and, uh, right now, but I want to say it's July, Mm -hmm. June or July. Um, But then also I'm doing some NSCA events. um, And uh, there's one in Toronto in May. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll be doing the NSCA personal trainers um, conference again. And that's in October. And I don't remember where that is. But I'm also going to be at TSAC. Awesome. That one's when is TSAC, Derek? I, Do you remember? I believe it's going to be in April because Jeff actually... April, yeah. Yeah, because Jeff couldn't remember as well when I was talking to him a couple of days okay. back. So <laughs> so the nice thing is, is yeah. by the time that your, uh, your podcast goes live, which will probably be in March, you'll probably have your website going at the same time. So oh, a lot gosh. of it will carry over. What is the name of your website yeah. when it gets up and going? It's 
mobilitymaker.com. It does still exist right now. It's up there, but the yeah, it's you're just not taking updated, those, so. the one and just giving it a whole new makeover, which will be a whole new makeover, whole new makeover yeah. which will be pretty awesome. Yeah. And will you be able to make it back to Summer Strong Eleven this year? Is that in the books? Do you know? I'm I'm working on that. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping so. Um, I may have to bring my youngest child with me, so it'll be a different Summer Strong experience for me if he comes. But absolutely, because he's eight. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, but It'll I'm, be an eye-opener for sure. Yeah. Oh, and I also have um, April 21st. Um, I will be at Drive uh, Drive 495, um, Charlie Weinkroft and Don Saladino's place and um, in New York City. And I'm going to be doing a moving through back pain workshop there. Fantastic. Um, yeah. So there I've just and there are there are a ton of other things, but um, those are top of mind right now. But, yeah, I'll be all over the place um, because I, I love, love, love presenting. I, I I tell people I could do it every day only because I feed off the energy of the people that I get to share this information with. And um, one other point I did want to make mm-hmm. when you were talking about um, we were talking about experts and, and how you really need to know your shit. And, and, you know, and not fake that, you know, things, I think it's really important to admit when you don't know, I see right. too many people get all hung up and wrapped around the axle when they're asked a question and they don't know the answer when the easiest, the, the easiest response is the honest one. Um, and I respect that so much more. And there have been so many times that I have been, you know, doing a Q and a at the end of a presentation and someone has asked me a question and I didn't know the answer. And I always say, I don't know the answer. And if people are going to decide, oh, well, if she doesn't know that, then they don't want to follow me or support me or whatever, then fine. I don't care. Absolutely. But, but, you know, I, I think that's, so important that you, you've got to let go of that ego that you think that you need to know everything. No one knows everything. It, and when someone asks you a question about something that you don't know, it's an opportunity to learn unless it's a bullshit question about something you don't even know about. Right, then, absolutely. You know, admit it and move on. But, but otherwise, yeah, look it up. Find it out. And I think there is a, a highly respected humility that comes when even the people at the top of their game are willing to make the statement, that's an excellent question, let me find the answer for you. Yeah. Because it shows that, A, we're not robots, and and that's an important thing. You don't wanna be a robot in this industry. Eventually you have to, humans wanna be around human beings. So that's a big one, and two, it shows a genuine, now you got to follow through, right? So if you say that, let yeah. me find out, of course. So that's a given. But it also shows that you are genuinely interacting with the people that are asking the questions. Mm-hmm. You know, man, what a what an insightful hour that we've had. Hopefully we can do this again. I know that it probably will be down the road a little bit as your schedule gets a little bit crazy. But I'm really looking forward to talking about what else you get into more specifically, I think as people have had this introduction to our podcast here is, is we can get into the nuts and bolts, you know, now they have an introduction to who this, this great mind is in our industry, in my opinion, and what you're doing for a lot of athletes that, and in general pop as well. And then we can uh, introduce them again when we speak next to advancements that you're making, as well as what I would like to really talk about next time around is how do we, integrate what you do as a coach into say 
what a power lifter does, what an Olympic lifter does. Um, and that I think will be a really beneficial sit down and listen in the future for those that are, are going down that road and trying to stay healthy. Oh, that would be great. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Dana, for your time. And uh, hopefully we can uh, crank out another one before it's too late. Sounds great. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Ecobolic Radio. For more information about upcoming guests and episodes, please follow Derek Woodsky on his Instagram or at DerekWoodsky.com. 